Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast episode. And uh, I'm here with a brand new guest, Haley Shepard. Haley, thank you for hanging out with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I feel pretty honored. I've been listening to your podcast for quite a little bit there. Actually, um, Sarah got me into it when she was featured on it. So it's kind of a nice full circle event here for me. Well, it, it really is a privilege. And actually, you were kind enough, too, to take a chance and do something a little bit different. We're, we're switching up the format a little bit for today's podcast, and we're focusing in on one particular topic, price. And the conversation I had with Haley, for everybody that's listening in, just to give you context, um, I said, why don't we have a conversation on the podcast and the questions that you have about pricing? I'd, I'd be glad to try to answer those, to have a conversation about those on the podcast, would you be game for that? And and to Haley's credit, she was. And so here we are. <laughs> and um, I think this is going to be a really helpful conversation. And it is a conversation. Um, I want to be clear about this because it's not meant to, I'm not, I'm not trying to give end all be all answers that work for every single person. What I want to focus more on than anything else are principles, kind of underlying ideas that will drive the decisions that we make as photography business owners about pricing uh, and about the way that we're managing our finances. So I, I'm again, this is going to be a really fun conversation. I think we should just kind of dig right into it, Haley. But I want to give context to our listeners. First of all, tell them, tell everybody um, what market you're based in and how long you've been in business. Of course. Um, so I do primarily wedding photography. I started out kind of doing the jack of all trades, trying everything. I'm self-taught. And I am only in my second year. I actually just hit my one-year anniversary, which was kind of crazy a little bit of a whirlwind didn't really think it was going to work out at first and yeah it ended up taking off it was a huge risk but I am so happy it's been such an amazing experience the people I've met have been awesome it's just been great well you have first of all your your photography is beautiful for anybody that's listening in like you need to go to Haley's and go to her website but certainly to her Instagram account just to get a feel for the style of photography being represented at Golden Hearts Collective, which of course is the name of the the brand, the business. Um, if you go to Golden Hearts Collective, just like it sounds on Instagram, we'll link to it in the show notes. You'll see this this just stunning photography. But I have one question for you, Haley, uh, or kind of a broad question, I guess. I, mm-hmm. I'm noticing on your website that I mean, first of all, it's called Golden Hearts Collection or Collective, rather, and it has the website itself has a very warm feel, kind of a, a brown. Yes to it um, that is reflected then in the imagery as well. You talk, I mean, on the homepage of your site, above the fold, it says, for the warm and emotive souls. Um, so you talk about the significance of warmth again there. And I see this theme in your imagery as well. Where does this interest, this desire for this kind of warm feel for your brand and for your photography come from? It definitely comes from kind of that really cliche, warm and fuzzy, nostalgic feeling you get when you do look at especially older photographs. It's just something that really brings you in the moment. You feel kind of cozy. So that's always been my thing. I knew starting out, I'm like, I want to be warm toned, warm toned, warm toned. And I toyed around with, oh my gosh, a thousand different ways to edit. And this just kind of drew to me. I loved it. And I feel like it's really become one of the basis of everything. You know, even the name Golden Hearts Collective. It's golden, warm, right? I yeah. love that sunshine feel, that warm and fuzzy. Well, and, and I'm certainly, I mean, that's the experience that I get as I'm as I'm going through your site and, and through the images I mean, that theme. I'm, I'm seeing that theme, that theme of warmth. 
And so you're doing a wonderful job in creating that consistent feel across your brand. But you mentioned editing a second ago, and this is kind of where I was going with this. I'm really curious with this particular style of editing where the skin tones, really the overall image itself is very, very warm. Do you ever have trouble with printing those kinds of skin tones? I know that these days a lot of our imagery stays digital, but one of the things I wonder, just having been a photographer for over a decade and, of course, owned Photographer's Edit now for over a decade as well, translating those warmer skin tones that are slightly orange, slightly yellow um, to print, I wonder how that works for albums or for prints and if any of your clients have trouble printing that type of skin tone. It's definitely a challenge. It was something that was kind of hard when I first started out. You know, as someone who's self-taught, you don't really know the ins and outs of exactly how to work the color tones properly for certain skin tones. And, you know, it, it definitely was hard in the beginning. Things were pulling a little too orange, and then they would pull a little too muted. I think I ended up working out. Haven't had any complaints so far. Okay. What I've printed out has been pretty good, but there's a real fine line between overdone and a proper looking skin tone. Some of my photos do kind of get real darn close to that barrier and I'm sure it breaks a lot of rules in photography, but it just all depends on your lighting and everything. And I, I think it's been working out so far. Well, at the end of the day, you know, we talk about this idea of breaking rules. I think as long as the client is happy enough to continue to come to you and pay you money so that you can make a living, um, it doesn't matter if you're breaking these quote unquote rules. Uh, I've just been curious and, and frankly a little bit concerned as I've seen this trend in the industry toward uh, this kind of dark and moody feel in this case kind of a warmer dark and moody feel how that ultimately translates not only to print but then I also think kind of down the road like what is a client going to look in five ten years at you know whether it's this trend or the film trend or back when I was shooting for a while there was for a short while there was this this trend that was kind of funny to think back on now is this kind of cross-processed uh, lamography <laughs> feel that was being applied to images that, I mean, even within the span of like a year or two after the fact, I was looking at my pictures. I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? And to be clear, I don't think that looking at your images, I think your, <laughs> your imagery is, is beautiful, but I just wonder how this all translates, not only to making sure that our clients have a classic, uh, a classic imagery to, to keep forever, but then also, again, as I pointed out, being able to print those tones effectively. I, I'm glad that you mentioned you know, muted tones, for example. That's one of the things that you see a lot of times from photographers, these kind of muted, almost dead skin tones in the, in the effort to create a dark and moody feel. And I, I'm just like, is that client not caring about looking halfway dead or, you know, <laughs> whether it's in the digital image or in the final print? So I was just curious to get your take on that. And it sounds like it's been a process of refining. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'd love to touch on that. I truly do think my style can probably come and go with the times. I do think it's a very, I wouldn't say very niche, but it's a pretty specific market. And I don't know how it's going to age, to be completely honest, just like we all thought selective color back in the day was the coolest <laughs> thing ever right. and now no one will touch it right like that's the biggest no-no now i think to just keep tweaking as the times go yes. will help it at least sure kind of go along i don't know how my clients are going to feel i don't know how i'm going to feel about my photography in 10 years i bet you all hate it to be completely honest <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like if you're drawn to it now and it is such a popular thing right now the warm tones i'm kind of happy it's finally getting its light it's fun yeah but um it, it's one of those things that you probably will look back on and you'll be like Meh. but that's what i was into back then and that's what the clients wanted back then sure. i feel like it kind of does come back to the nostalgia right like like you were saying the cross processing. Oh my gosh. I remember playing around with that when I was like in high school and we thought it was the best thing ever. Is that nostalgia looking back on it now? You yeah. think it's horrible, but yeah. it's like, it was very with the times. Yeah. It's, it, you're right that the trends kind of come and go. And, and I guess it is a little bit of a, a challenge to make sure that we're delivering a product to a client that's going to look good in five, 10 years, you know, despite whatever trends happen. But I, I like the point that you make, which is um, the significance of kind of flexing and flowing with the times as well, because the reality is, you know, whether we're talking about, we talk a lot about brand position on the podcast, whether we're talking about brand position or we're talking about price points or the editing style or otherwise, the reality is our business um, likely is going to change and in many cases should change. And we have to keep an mm -hmm. open mind to the way that the market is functioning and flex and flow with that. 
And uh, those who kind of get rigid and stuck and egotistical, they're the ones that hurt themselves because they're not willing to, to make adjustments as necessary. So I'm glad that you bring that point up. I think it's great perspective. And I didn't expect to get into all of this at the beginning of our conversation, but I think it's actually <laughs> really helpful conversation, at least point of consideration for everybody listening in. And I really appreciate your perspective. So I'm going to keep going, though, because we're, we're digging into a pretty big topic and yes. we're talking about pricing and you mentioned the fact that you've just come off your first year. So congratulations, first of all, that you've even made it Thank this far. You. And, and again, you, your photography is just stunning. So that's an incredible place to be already. But what would you say if we're looking at price, this topic of pricing, first of all, in your first year of business, what were the top two or three pricing challenges that you faced? Definitely cost of doing business. You know, okay. that's kind of your biggest thing. It's something that you you don't necessarily overlook, but you almost don't think enough into the price of your equipment and what it is to upkeep your equipment. You know, I just got a website the last part of 2019. Like, that's a big thing. That's a huge part of your business. And I just didn't do it because it was so expensive. All my clients were coming in through Instagram. So that was my biggest thing you know, when to raise your pricing, how to break even with your affordability and everything. It's really tricky starting out trying to figure out where to put your money. Yeah, you're right. And I don't know about you, but personally, and I guess I got started in photography when I was only 21 or 22. And I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. And so when I first started seeing, and actually for some time, when I, when I would get these checks from clients, I wasn't used to handling this kind of money. I mean, when I got married mm -hmm. at 20, I was making, myself and my, uh, and my partner at the time were making something like $24,000 a year combined. And so we're, we're seeing these checks come in for, you know, whether it was $300 or $3,000, and it's money that gets to go in the bank. And I just wasn't used to seeing these kinds of numbers largely because of the way I was brought up and I was so young and inexperienced and just like, oh, money. And so even just that total immaturity in my perspective about money contributed toward poor management of money, frankly. And the idea of considering, as you pointed out, cost of doing business, I don't know that I was really thinking about that a whole lot, at least for that, that first number of years. Yeah, of course. I kind of struggled with the same thing. You know, I'm really lucky that I'm married as well and my husband is very smart with our finances because you see kind of these prices come in for weddings and you look at it and you're like, all right, it's a couple thousand dollars. That's perfect. I'm doing great. But then you got to break it all down between, you know, your travel, your equipment, your advertising, your taxes that end up coming up the next year. And you don't really realize how much of it is actually allotted to everything else and how much is your actual take home. Yeah. So I, Share, if you will, at least kind of the beginnings of how you began to address that or managing or understanding and then doing something about the cost of doing business. Did you go about tracking that, first of all, in a, in a specific way so that you could actually look at the numbers and make decisions about it? So I unfortunately got to that a little bit too late. <laughs> I think we started doing that in September, really cracking down on everything. Sure. Actually, funny enough, in September, things were still a little slow. Things weren't really looking like they were going to pan out. I was contemplating going back to the job I did go to school for, and that's in healthcare. And we were kind of ready to accept that. And then out of nowhere, a bunch of inquiries for weddings came in. And that's when we fully started tracking it. Now, this year was a little bit sloppy. Again, first year, you don't know anything, right? So sure. it was mostly tracking through writing down on paper. Then you lose the paper. Keeping an email, you accidentally delete an email. So we've kind of tweaked what we need to do. And I think we're going to do a full spreadsheet for everything and keep track of what's coming in, what's going out. I, I didn't really save receipts last year. There's a big no-no right there that really needs to be done. And yeah, just kind of getting every single piece of money in and money out in one spot for the yeah. end of the year. So you can really see how much you're actually spending on everything. Cause it doesn't seem like a lot when it's one little thing at a time and it adds up so quickly. It really does. And it can be overwhelming. And first of all, I appreciate your transparency and your, your vulnerability. I've mentioned this before on the podcast a number of times, my, it, it, like the first piece of advice that I would give to a, a new photographer based on my personal experience because I did manage my money so poorly for so long 
was or is to get on top of those finances. Um, and, and in mm-hmm. fact, this really is a good segue into kind of the, the first piece of or first number of suggestions I want to make, because just to, to kind of keep the conversation moving, you sent uh, a list of pricing challenges, financial management challenges that you have mm-hmm. faced coming out of that first year, going into the second year. And uh, I want to touch on each of those. I'll, I'll just go ahead and list them here. Um, and this is yes. what Haley emailed to me. But she said, first of all, how to be prepared for tax seasons, write-offs, percentages to save. So we're going to touch on that. How much money to invest in advertising, what kind of advertising, and then when to financially justified upgrading equipment. And lastly, when to know if it's time to raise pricing. And so let's just, let's take the first one. Um, and, and Haley, I think you've kind of given us context as to where you're at right now with prep for taxes, um, keeping yes. track of income and expenses. And I want to make just a few suggestions. And as I said at the beginning of our, our podcast interview here, um, I, I want everybody to, to keep in mind, these are suggestions. These aren't these suggestions aren't meant to be end all be all suggestions but from my experience now in business for close to 20 years this is these are the simple recommendations that i would make and that's kind of the cool thing about all of this is nothing i'm going to suggest today is earth shattering or overly complicated a lot of it's just about doing it and and once you start doing it it becomes a habit it makes all the difference in the world it minimizes the amount of stress especially when it comes to tax time you don't have to spend a time a bunch of time going and looking for pieces of information in order to give those to your accountant and get those taxes filed and and for me that really helps minimize stress so three suggestions when it comes to tax prep write-offs percentages to save for taxes the very first thing i'm going to say here largely because of my lack of expertise in the matter is to find a great accountant have you found a good one there in your area my husband has. He is the one who's on top of that, thankfully. So Perfect. he usually tickers everything out and then goes from there. That's great. And and for everybody listening in, this may sound like really basic advice, but the reality is, um, and I'll speak again from personal experience here, having somebody who is knowledgeable, who is an expert in that particular field, um, who also gives you the sense that they're on your side, that they've got your back, that they're going to help you through figuring this stuff out and ultimately being able to effectively present it to the IRS when the time comes, it, it really makes a big difference. Again, finances for me were a weakness and they were a source of stress. And the idea of trying to handle that, manage all of that myself was overwhelming. And so finding a good accountant that you can have on your side that can walk you through this stuff, especially you know the first year, Haley, you mentioned there was information that you didn't actively track. So you're going to have to kind of go back and piece all of that together. It may be a bit yep. of a challenge, but having the accountant there to give you that advice will make all the difference in the world for sure. And then the second piece of advice too, that I, I want to just kind of throw out there, and you talked about the spreadsheet. I would even, I mean, spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheets are a really powerful tool. I, I used to just kind of put them down in the past because I, I thought it was kind of funny that in you know 2000, whatever, 18, 19, 20, we're still using spreadsheets. But the reality is they're actually a very powerful tool. The problem is you also have to know how to use them. And the, the big caveat here is in 2020, we've got incredible tools that will enable us to do just as much, if not more, and at least in a more user-friendly manner than what spreadsheets will do. The first piece of software that I'd recommend to any business owner is is QuickBooks, more specifically QuickBooks Online. When I first started, I was I was using the QuickBooks software that I have to load onto my computer, I think with a CD. And then if, if I had to you know, get that data to my accountant, then I had to burn the data to a CD to take it to my accountant. It was just kind of tedious process. QuickBooks has improved significantly over the last almost 20 years. And now the, the software itself online is extremely user-friendly. You can also give access to your account to log into that software. And not only that, they've got this really cool mobile platform that I, I use personally for tracking mileage specifically. We'll be using as well moving forward to track uh, receipts. And you can, you can do that. You can track mileage. You can track receipts. You can also track your income, your expenses. So when you talk about the idea of having everything in one place, Haley, instead of having to kind of manually add that into a spreadsheet, you can even connect your bank accounts to that or to your QuickBooks Online account. And everything just kind of fills in. You can categorize it as necessary. And, you know, within minutes a day, if even that, you know, a few minutes a week, you can proactively manage your finances in an organized fashion. And it not only allows you to be able to give the data that you need to to the accountant and ultimately to the IRS, 
but it also allows you to be able to look intelligently at the information, especially when you're talking about cost of doing business. Here are my, here's where I'm making the most money. Here's where I'm spending the most money. Do I need to make adjustments here for the sake of the long-term viability and scalability of my business? QuickBooks will allow you to do that in a really user-friendly format. Yeah, I'll be hopping off of this call and definitely going to go sign up for that. <laughs> I, I can't recommend it enough. And again, you know, the fact that you've got that, that the mobile app to take with you on the go, if you do have a receipt, you could snap a picture of it and you can categorize that later on. Um, I think it'll automatically read the receipt and, and plug that information in as well. Uh, mileage, you can turn on the automatic tracking for mileage. So literally, and I have a to-do item in my task list that says mileage. And I can pull up QuickBooks and I can open it up and it populates my mileage from the last however long since the last time I updated it. And then I can go through and mark that mileage personal or business and I can put a little title on it so I know what the mileage was for. And again, it only takes you know a few minutes to do this, but even mileage can, can generate significant write-offs at the end of the year and makes a really, really big difference in proactively uh, managing your finances. So yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. I think it's something like $40 a month. It's going to be the best $40 a month that you spend. Yeah, really. It could save you how much in the long run too. Insane. Well, not only money, but time too, you know, because now you don't have to go kind of looking around for information at the end of the year to prep for taxes or quarterly taxes. And, and again, the idea of spending you know, even just once a month to begin with looking at the income and the expenses and beginning to understand what they mean and what adjustments you need to make in your business in order to minimize the expenses and maximize that income. It's a really important tool for that too. So it's not just about taxes. Speaking of taxes, um, the other thing that you had mentioned or asked was about how much to save for taxes. And I think you know, the average number that you're going to hear from most is somewhere between 25 and 30%. Some would even average higher or suggest higher than that. Here again, yeah. I, I would I would recommend getting that recommendation from your accountant specifically, knowing what your income is, your household income is. Um, they're going to be able to give you a much more detailed answer in that case. And for everybody listening in, same situation. Don't just go based on something that somebody said on Facebook. Talk to your accountant who knows your financial situation and get the information from them. And it doesn't hurt to save an extra 2 3% just to cover your bases and know that at the end of the year, you're not going to be paying out extra. You know, we constantly talk about how if you want a professional photographer, hire a professional photographer, and yeah. then we try to do all these things by ourselves instead <laughs> it's of just so getting true. a professional. <laughs> yeah, that no, it's it's a really great point, and and um, you know, of course, the the natural conversation for me here goes to editing, but there are so many elements of our business, whether that is album design or uh, account work, whether that's you know email management or otherwise. I mean, there's so many different elements or website development or design so many elements of our business that we can delegate to somebody who knows better and um, yeah. it saves us time and ultimately allows us to focus on on what will actually grow the business in the bigger picture so that's a exactly. great point that you make but let me just keep going because i know we have a lot to talk about here and, and by the way i i don't want to be the only one talking i'm sorry i feel like i'm, I'm <laughs> just kind of running my mouth on and on here so don't hesitate to jump in and i'll probably have a question or two for you um, as of well. course, of course. It's nice to hear it all, right? I, I don't hear all this stuff yet. So it's really nice to hear it. Cool. Well, we'll just keep moving then. Um, so I think the next talking point was about raising prices. And, and share just a little bit of context to this point of conversation. What, what are your thoughts about it at the moment? It's a really tricky spot, I find, in your business on when to raise prices and sometimes depending on where you are, when to lower your prices. You know, it's a very specific market where I am. I'm in Ontario, Canada, so I imagine our price differences are a little bit different than in the States. But what's pretty general across the board is you really have to go off of your area and what the photographers in that area are kind of going for or else you're either going to price yourself out or underprice yourself and get yourself into a market you might not want to be. So it's been really tricky. I started out really, really low. You know, you're starting out, you do a lot of free stuff. And the thing I didn't realize is at that time, you're kind of putting yourself into a market that doesn't quite go further than that. It's mm. great. There's a there's a budget market, you know what I mean? But if you don't want to be in that budget market, and I'm in weddings, so I don't want to be in that budget market, you kind of have to find the sweet spot for your pricing. And it's dependent on so many things, your area, your education, your equipment. And that's where the cost comes in again, because 
you can be a great photographer and on any camera if you're a good photographer with the talent, but it's hard to justify, you know, a $2,000 wedding shot on a point and shoot versus full frame or something like that. So there's so much that goes into your pricing and when it should be raised and how reflective it would be of your work and everything else that goes into it. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned uh, more than once, actually, the significance of your market. I know that you're in the general Ontario area, but you actually live in St. Thomas, right? Yes. So we're pretty tiny. We're pretty tiny. And as the photography world goes, we're pretty oversaturated. You know, I always joke with everybody and I say, last year I was part of the problem. I'm part of the oversaturation in the area and it is what it is. So one, you have to stand out on your work and two, you have to be priced appropriately or you're just not going to get the work. They're going to find somebody who's either cheaper or somebody who offers a little bit more, a little bit more talent, a little bit more in their package for the tiniest bit more. Yeah, value. We could kind of sum that up with value, right? A lot of there yes. are a lot of clients who are looking for more value, which is understandable. Um, especially if you don't yep. make a lot of money, you're trying to squeeze as much value out of that money that you are spending as possible. So it's understandable. Uh, St. Thomas, I, I actually looked before we jumped on our call, is it has a population of something like forty-one thousand, uh, from what I saw yep. online. So it's not a not a very big market. Are there a, when you said that you're saturated? Is that specifically St. Thomas or Ontario in general? I imagine Ontario, but very specifically St. Thomas and the Elgin County area. Okay. We have a lot of photographers here and a lot of them are really, really good. And a lot are just starting out and they're also probably going to be really, really good. So it's pretty competitive over here. We really love to kind of push, you know, community over competition. Yeah. And I love that. And it's very hard to find people who actually stick true to that. But at the end of the day, you got to pay your bills and you got to be in the right sweet spot to get your clients. Well, it's true. And, and you know, this is actually a great segue into the first point or idea that I wanted to share here. You talked about the significance of bills. Um, When it comes to pricing, I think a lot of times in our industry, the the conversation, the point of conversation is overcomplicated because at the end of the day, we have to pay our bills, right? We have to pay business expenses. We have to pay our personal bills. Ideally, we have a little bit of money to save and or invest, and we have a little bit of money that we can set aside to take a vacation as a family or to spend time doing something besides work. And because ultimately we need that break. So it is important that we prioritize that. But the first question that I would ask in this case, and, and for everybody listening in who's kind of trying to figure out their pricing as well, it's very simply this. Are you making enough money? Are you making enough money to pay the business expenses, to pay the bills, and have money left over to save and invest and to occasionally go on vacation or spend a little bit of money doing something you know, for fun? Are you making enough money to do that? Because it may be, and, and I'd love to get more context uh, as well, Haley, but it may be yes. that some of our listeners... They're, they've been thinking about changing prices only because they've heard the conversation in the industry and they're like, oh, well, maybe I should raise my prices. Maybe I'm you know, charging enough. Maybe this makes me look like a, an, an experienced photographer. Whatever the conversation they've kind of created in their head. And at the yeah. end of the day, if they're making enough money or if you're making enough money to cover those things we just talked about and you still have time left over at the end of the week and not working 80 hours a week to make that happen, and maybe that you're in a great spot. Where are you with that right now? How do you feel about that? I think I'm in a good spot now. I definitely would like to get to a spot where I could raise my prices a little bit more. I do think that comes for me with more experience. You know, I don't have a lot of weddings under my belt yet. So I feel my prices are fairly justified. But in the beginning, I wasn't at an appropriate price at all. I wasn't factoring in my time editing. You know what I mean? Sure. I just went, oh, it's it's a 15-minute session and this is how much I'm getting paid. That's perfect. So I definitely had to sit down and figure out how much time actually goes into my actual work. And I think now I have fully tickered it out where we've got a little bit of that wiggle room and we're able to save and we're able to do something. And I think this year I'm finally going to hit that, which is really nice. I say finally as if it's been years (laughs) into this, but that's an amazing place that probably most photographers listening in, um, or many photographers, I should say, at least in our industry who've even been working for, you know, three, four, five, 10 years even Mm -hmm. may still be kind of scraping by. So the fact that you're that you're already doing that now. Um, I mean, as much as this is a conversation to hopefully be of some value to you, it seems like you're thinking very intelligently about all of this. You're looking at the bigger picture and that makes a really big difference. 
uh, you're looking at it proactively rather than reactively. And part of the problem for me financially as a photographer um, for so long anyway was that I was very reactive in nature. I was I was afraid of managing finances for this reason and that. Yeah. And so I just kind of stayed in this reactive mode. It was fun every once in a while to get a really nice check, but I wasn't proactively thinking about what I was doing with that money. And my goodness, I suffered pretty significantly as a result. So I love that you're starting out with a much more proactive mindset. And you know, you mentioned that you feel like you're at a pretty good spot right now, which is really great. If you're making enough, and for everybody listening, if you're making enough, and I guess the question that I would ask at that point is how much more do you actually want to make and why? And there may not yeah. be an immediate question. It might be something you have to step back and think about a little bit. How much harder are you willing to work for that extra money? Again, I don't like if I can work 20 hours a week and make $80,000 a year, I'm stoked. I don't want to work 80 hours a week and make $500,000 a year. The, the money sounds exactly. nice, but I'm going to have no life as a result. So what's the point? So how much for everybody listening in, if you're thinking about raising prices, how much harder do you want to work for the extra money? Or if, if you're thinking, I, I want more money, my prices are okay, but I want more money. How much harder are you willing to work for that extra money? Your lifestyle, your life goals, those are what need to dictate our prices to begin with. Now, we, we have to look at the market. In fact, we'll talk about that in a second. And Haley brought that up already. We need to look at the market, what the market will support, what brand position we've established in that market, how that plays against the other photographers in our market. Even if we don't see them as competition, the client does, subconsciously at, at least, they see options and so they're going to make a decision. Do the price points support what the market and how the market's behaving? We have to consider those things, but our life and our lifestyle dictates our prices to begin with. So to reiterate for everybody listening in, make sure that you have, that you're generating enough revenue, you're charging enough to pay for business expenses, to pay your personal expenses, to save and invest a bit, and to, to set a little bit of money aside for extra. And if you're yeah. not doing that, it is time to raise your prices. And at that point, you need to, to look at the way the market's behaving, um, where your brand position is. It's a little bit bigger conversation, but I, it seems like you're in a pretty healthy spot, Haley. Well, and another thing is to not run yourself ragged, right? Like it's so easy to be priced a little bit lower and get a lot more work and mm. not realize when you're overwhelmed. Yes. So at the end of last year, I was in a pretty bad spot. I, I wasn't feeling great about everything. I was a little uninspired. I felt like I was doing the same things over and over again. My October got real crazy. It was so jam-packed, busy every single week, last minute wedding bookings, which blew me out of the water. And it just wasn't really worth it. It hmm. wasn't worth it to bring in the extra income that way. Yeah. When I could have had my prices a little bit higher, worked a little bit less, you know, had time for my relationships at home, yep. being able to take care of my kids a little bit better or spend some more time with my husband or just some of my own down mental time. And I think that's one thing we kind of always push out of the conversation because it's something that we either don't like to talk about it or we don't think that it's being affected by the job that we're in. But it is. You raise your prices a little bit, you're going to get a little bit less work probably, but it'll even out and you have more time to yourself, which is amazing. And that's where I want to be. And that's great. And that's great that you're being very intentional about that. But you know, you mentioned the market and I do want to bring up an important point, particularly yes. with regards to wedding photography. And these are numbers I've shared uh, at different points of the podcast in the past. But uh, at least in 2018, I think 2019 is going to be a similar uh, result as well. But you're looking at about 70% of the market, 70, 75% or so of the market. Weddings were photographed for two grand and below. So yep. keep that in mind. And then the next 10 to 15% go from that two grand to four grand mark. And then the top five to 7% or so, we're talking about you know four grand or above four grand. Now, the reason I bring this up is because it's easy in our industry to talk so much about continuing to raise your prices and working with a high-end client and, and cutting back in the number of jobs that you have to photograph. But you also have to, and as Haley so smartly pointed out, you have to consider the market and what the market will sustain, and especially if you're in a smaller market. So you've got to look at the demographic or demographics of your market, understand what those look like look at what other photographers are charging and then figure out, okay, with the market as it stands and the photographers that are in that market, how much does it make sense that I charge? Yes, you need to consider the target client you're reaching toward, but are there enough of that target client 
that you can shoot that client enough each year to make enough money to to meet your financial goals. You have to exactly. look at the, at the big picture. So it's again, it's very easy for everybody to talk about you know reaching the high end bride. But at the end of the day, there are, there's a much smaller percentage of that so-called higher-end bride. There may actually be really great opportunity in the lower-end market, at which point, yes, it could be very easy to get burnt out. That's where um, those of you listening in, you can consider changing up your business model a little bit. Does that mean bringing on an associate photographer, a college student to shoot weddings for three, four, five hundred bucks? Uh, potentially. I mean, there, there's all kinds of different directions you can go with this, but do consider the market. And I'm really glad you pointed that out, Haley. Yeah, it's something that you kind of have to, and that's why the pricing is such a hard, tricky topic. You really have to look at around you, what people are priced at, the amount of years of experience that they have, you know, how long have they been able to base that whole market? You know, I'm not from St. Thomas, I'm from Hamilton. So I am starting a market in somewhere where I technically know nobody. I've only been here for five years have been on that leave for half of that. So haven't been able to really meet people. Sure. So if you're starting out somewhere where you don't know anyone, you really have to fully go off of that market. And then if you, you know, you live there, you were born there, whatever, taking the market, taking your education, go from there. But there's always going to be a cap off on how much you can bring that money up. Yeah. And, you know, I would just to kind of finish this conversation for now, because I know we could go for a long way, a long time with it, but there's there are other points to cover. But I do want to push back on something um, that you mentioned, a couple things you mentioned. You mentioned the significance of experience, education uh, and and equipment as well. These all play into potentially our ability or continued, hopefully growing ability as a photographer. But I would I would caution not just you, Haley, but also our listeners in general, not to place too much emphasis on on those ideas only because the average potential client uh, doesn't really care. They, they aren't looking as closely at that as, yeah, they, they're probably initially going to want to be impressed by the photography that they see. Hopefully they'll have a great referral from a friend of theirs or family member of theirs. Yeah. And ultimately, if you create a really great environment, the first opportunity or opportunities you have to connect with them and you begin to create this great experience, they're they're not asking you what model camera you have, how long you've had it, how many megapixels does it shoot with, or do you have a degree in photography? They just want some great images with a great experience yep. at the end of the day. So I would... I would caution anybody who is considering what to do with their prices, basing that on experience or your equipment, um, to pull back from that a little bit. You need to start with the basics. Are you meeting your personal financial goals? First of all, that's what's most important. And if not, then yes, you need to adjust your prices in order to reach those personal desires and wants regarding your finances. And then I would look at the market. Secondly, what can the market support? Where What are other photographers doing? Is there space to go into this price bracket here? Or are there you know, 10, 15 photographers already there? Do you need to go where there are less photographers? You also have to be aware of the demographic and how many people in that market are going to support that particular price point. These are the things that I think are going to have a more significant effect on that decision-making process. And so I just wanted to throw that in there at the end. No, I agree completely. So the next point that I want to jump to, and this is still tied to finances, uh, and, and that is advertising. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, the way that we price ourselves determines how much money we have at the end of the day to spend on advertising, if any at all. It is going to depend on the business model. But how, first of all, what kind of advertising to dig into and then how much to spend on it. So uh, what is the advertising world look like for you at the moment, Haley, with your business? Have you done any? If so, what does it look like? If not, why not? I've done a little bit of the Instagram and Facebook stuff. So like I said, because it's taken me so long to actually set up my website, all of my weddings for next year have come in through Instagram or Facebook. So I was pouring my heart into those. Yeah, pretty impressed with that. 21 weddings next year. All that. through Instagram, pretty much. <laughs> now, you say next year. Is that 2020? <laughs> or sorry, 2019. This year, actually. I always forget. Or 2020. Yes. My goodness. <laughs> we are in 2020 already. Can you believe it? It's I so know. Weird. But that's amazing. Yeah. 21 weddings. That is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. So, yeah, I've kind of been pouring my heart into the Facebook and the Instagram ads. To be completely honest, I didn't find much luck with it. I know some people who do. I didn't. I've done a couple local things and then I realized it wasn't really the demographic I was trying to reach. It was more so reaching people who are already married. So that didn't really help me out too much. I found what I've put a lot of my heart into lately. And I know this can kind of be 
a little bit of a controversy on some people who have been doing this for a while, but is styled shoots. So I'm very open with all of my clients and my couples and everybody that, you know, if this is the picture that you like, this is from a styled shoot. This is not something that's easily recreated. This is your best light, your best everything going into this one photo. It's not fully reflective of how your day is going to go. But I find that having those wow worthy photos in a world where people just scroll so fast has been my best form of advertisement so far. So I've just been pouring money into that. But at some point, you know, you can only do so many concepts. Not many things are entirely original anymore. So I need to find ways to branch out from that. And I haven't quite figured out on how to do that yet. So this is where I'd love for you to come in. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had all the answers, but I am curious to oh, get a little bit more context though, too. When you talk about styled shoots, so in yes. putting money into styled shoots, are you putting money into styled shoots, but then those posts about or from the styled shoots are organic in nature? Or are you paying for those um, to, to, to boost those or promote those as well? I believe all of them so far have been organic. I think wow. the only post that I have promoted was my one year post and just because I thought heck I just want everyone to see this because yeah. this was an accomplishment yeah so yeah everything has been organic so far so it's nice on one hand with St. Thomas being smaller that everybody knows everybody right if you attract the right kind of people it spreads like wildfire through that whole group so that's been very beneficial in a small town Interesting. Okay. So how are, do you know how people are finding you organically through Instagram? Because I'm looking, for example, at just this beautiful yep. post of a couple at sunset, what looks like sunset. He's looking back at her. She's got a hat on yes. um, from five days ago. So I guess that'd be January 25th or anybody listening in who wants to look on Instagram, but you're not using hashtags. Is no. there some other way that you're getting the attention, particularly of the local potential client? I haven't quite figured out how. <laughs> I am assuming it's word of mouth right now, which okay. is pure luck, absolutely pure luck. But a lot of people who have booked me have said, you know, I saw this post from my friend who sent it to me. Actually, one of my wedding clients this year, she's a fantastic makeup artist. She found me because of one of her good friends is a makeup artist who worked on my very first styled shoot. And said to her, look at these photos. This is exactly who you want. And she booked me right away. So most of it has been word of mouth. This person knows that person knows that person is showing this person a photo. So having the business setting set on your page has been amazing with Instagram. When you can view insights on those posts and you can see how many people have bookmarked it, how many times it has been sent out, that has been so big for me in seeing what's getting me more clients and yeah. what's kind of falling flat. Wow. That, that's really interesting and, and fascinating, I think, to me. I know I talked to at least a couple of local photographers here in the Chattanooga area where I live in Tennessee, um, and, mm -hmm. and they were talking about how, at least at one point, they were bringing the majority, if not all, of their business through Instagram as well. Yeah. To my knowledge, it was also organic. Um, I, I think they were using hashtags, potentially location as well. Yeah. I'm not 100% on that, but it, it really is incredible how you can, I mean, you could literally run a business from social media at this point if, if you really wanted to. Again, kudos Seriously. to you. Yeah, for, for continuing to, to be able to generate these kinds of results. Um, when, when it comes to the question of what kind of advertising makes most sense, first of all, if, if you're already doing this well with organic reach through Instagram and you're not even taking the time to, to, you know, mark the location or to do something like hashtags, I, I can only imagine how much more reach you would have and potentially how much more business you would get if you begin to implement some of those techniques, some of those tactics. Are you familiar with Jasmine Starr? I am not. Okay. I'm going to highly recommend Jasmine. And while we're talking here, I'll pull up her site just so I'm, I'm sharing the, the right URL. But Jasmine, and in fact, actually, if you just search on Instagram, probably the best thing. And Jasmine, it's it's just like it sounds, I believe. I'm going to search again here as we're we're talking. Jasmine Star, yeah, just like it sounds. So J A S M I N E S T A R on, on Instagram. Um, she's slightly popular. She's got close to 350,000 followers. Yeah, just a little bit, eh? Just a few. <laughs> um, but but Jasmine has has developed a system that enables photographers and business owners ultimately to be able to more effectively market their brand on Instagram. 
And I can't, I can't recommend that enough. You talk about a really smart individual, and I've actually known Jasmine for, for years now. She was a photographer for quite some time as well. Um, but I would, I would start there, especially if you've been able to build this momentum in Instagram again, and, and you're barely even tapping into what Instagram is, is capable of. I can only exactly. imagine if you add some of those other tools to the mix, what you might be able to be capable of. And, um, you know, we talked earlier about the, the question of, are you, you know, we're considering raising prices. Should I raise prices or not? And the reality is if you're in a good spot, you may not have to raise prices. Um, same kind of thing with advertising. In some cases, it may not be necessary to spend money on advertising if you have a particular strategy that is already working. My suggestion, mm-hmm. especially at the outset, is you're trying to build your business up and, and minimize expenses, would be to build on the success that you already have, utilize some of those other tools out there. And again, Jasmine's going to be a great starting resource for that um, to really build on the momentum that you've already seen. That would be, I think, a really great starting place. Now, just to throw this in for the sake of conversation and everybody else listening in, um, I do want to at least touch on the questions that you brought up. First of all, what kind of advertising makes most sense? And and the, the first thing that I would suggest is if you're going to do any advertising, you do have to consider what demo you're targeting, what demographic you're targeting, and what advertising will most resonate with them. So for example, if, if, if I was a wedding photographer right now, and in fact, I'm actually considering starting a, a wedding photography business again on the side as a project to kind of support one of my other brands. But if, if and or when I do that, likely I'm going to run Facebook and Instagram ads because the, the market that I'm going to go after is going to be the low to potentially middle end or middle income market. Yep. And that particular segment of the market likely Facebook and Instagram ads are going to convert more effectively than for somebody who makes a high income or extremely high income, where in which word of mouth plays in many cases a more significant role. Um, if, if somebody's photographing high school seniors, Snapchat as a platform makes more sense to spend money and time on because it's a platform that is likely going to resonate more effectively with high schoolers. So you go there. So basically ask what demo am I trying to reach? and what advertising most resonates with them. And that's where you go to spend money. And as far as the ad spend is concerned, you know, we were talking about finances earlier and business expenses specifically. The first question you have to ask on a practical level is how much margin do you have to play with? So at the end of the month, after, let's say after a month or two months, even three months of tracking income and expenses in QuickBooks, you're able to effectively say, okay, this is the margin that I have. This is the money I have left over the extra And what percentage of that am I willing to spend on ads, number one? And then as I begin to spend money on those ads, what is the return on that spend? And you find you end up finding a balance in there that works best for you. So a lot of it's experimentation in that case. Yes, exactly. And it's tricky to kind of take that leap and try to figure out which one's going to work. It's hard, but it needs to be done or else you kind of don't get anywhere. Well, and, and again, it may be that you've already gotten plenty of places. I mean, just organically through Instagram, and you may not need to do any advertising, at least at the moment. Uh, But the cool thing is you're in a great place and that you've built up a bit of a cushion of sorts, right? So you know that you've got revenue coming in as a result of those 21 weddings and potentially more if you book more. You've got revenue coming in. Um, So you're not just like scraping by to try to figure out how you could possibly make an extra buck. And that's a great place to be because now you're not going to act frantically. You can be more, more proactive in nature. So I would suggest start with Jasmine, start to utilize the, the full capacity of Instagram as a tool to reach your potential market, number one. And then I would start tracking those income and expenses in QuickBooks over the next two or three months. And then you know the money, what the, what the, the financial picture looks like. And if you know, hey, I've got an extra, even if it's like an extra hundred bucks to play with, with Facebook advertising, at that point, there are some pretty significant resources out there with regards to Facebook and Instagram. You do have to be careful because it's kind of every, everybody and anybody, it seems these days is a quote, you know, Facebook or Instagram ad expert. Um, yes. But if you want to go really deep with it, I'll at least throw this resource out there. It's called Perpetual Traffic. Okay. And this is a podcast. They ultimately have a website and a platform, I think a consulting service of sorts as well for running ads, specifically on Facebook. I know that's where they've spent the majority of the time uh, when I have listened to it is Facebook marketing. Uh, it is a deep dive, but if if you really want to build up the knowledge base associated with running Facebook and potentially Instagram ads, 
uh, that is a massive resource. And they've got over 200 episodes on that podcast. There's a lot of information to pull from there. Perfect. See, and that's the thing to, to know that what I'm doing is doing fairly well already. And now just kind of bump it up a bit. It's good to have the knowledge on it and how to do it properly and effectively. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's it can be tough to sort through who actually knows what they're saying or what they're doing and, yes. and who's just kind of pulling, you know, some some catchphrases and sharing those and charging for it. I, that is a such a touchy subject, but I, I can almost guarantee you that this is going to be one of the best resources out there, at least a starting place. And um, and then I'm sure that you can ask around and talk to, to fellow photographers, either in your local community or potentially online as well. And they can make some recommendations of those that they've worked with that have converted really well. And you can start there if, if need be. But those are just my initial suggestions. The last thing I want to touch on here, and I want to respect your time and everybody listening in too, um, you asked about upgrading equipment. And I'd love again to kind of get context to this question and this conversation. Where are you at with that right now? I'm in a weird spot. I think kind of in this career option, we do always kind of think you need the best of the best. But I also do think at some point you outgrow your equipment. So for me, it's hard. I'm in a weird spot to justify everything because I haven't been in this for very long, right? I, I upgraded from... Oh my gosh, I don't can't remember what I had. I think it wasn't a rubble, but it was something along those lines yeah. to the Mark III now. But there are still little things that I'm noticing that I'm like, it's not quite where I want it to be. And, and that one's more of a personal goal of my own, I think. And I know there's a very huge chunk of it that relies on ability. But I think we all need to be a little bit honest with ourselves that there's also a very huge chunk of it that relies on you know, more modern technology and things are just getting better. The mirrorless cameras are insane. Like everything is just getting better and better. And I think I'm personally having a hard time on when to justify it. My husband's having a hard time on when to justify it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it'd be nice to have some insight on that because I am always convinced your photography will be better. And I think it's just ourselves judging our own work too much, very likely. But yeah. Well, first of all, you mentioned something uh, a minute ago, which was that you were there were a couple of things you're noticing in your photography that you would like to improve or that you would like yes. to, to be better. What are some of the things just off the top of your head? Sharpness. It's a huge one for me. I, you know, it's something that I think the clients probably don't notice as much as we do. Exactly. But when something pulls up a little soft, I always get down on myself on my work. And I know it's so silly. And I've been told time and time again, that it is what it is. You know what I mean? Everybody has a soft image every now and then. But the sharpness of a photo is probably my absolute biggest thing that I want to continuously work on. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I mean, first of all, if, if there is an actual problem with a camera's ability, or for that matter, a lens's ability to be able to capture images consistently sharp um, you'll probably be able to find that online in the forums or in facebook groups yes and at that point i mean that would seem to justify a change or at least a trip to whatever the manufacturer or sent you know sending the camera body in to potentially have it fixed or adjusted but you know the other thing too is sharpness i know that there's been a tendency in the last 15 years or so maybe a bit more to shoot with these lenses wide 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 open and yes and that is something that just naturally makes capturing a sharp image a little bit more difficult. The flip side of that I realize is, I mean, like I'm looking at this stunning picture of um, the bride's earring that you posted, I guess today, so January 30th, that is just gorgeous. And of course that selective focus and that control with depth of field, it really can make all the difference in the world in a finished image. It's stunning. Uh, but the reality is an image like that can be shot at, you know, 2.8, for example, potentially even f4, depending on the lens uh, where you're standing, and it still look almost as impactful. And now you don't run the risk of blurring the image or, or softening the image because you were shooting at 1.4, 1.8, and you happen to suddenly, you know, shift the camera a little bit at the last moment. So that's something else to consider, just playing with those depth of field. It doesn't, for anybody listening in, it doesn't make you a bad photographer, a cheesy photographer, because you shot at 2.8 instead of 1.4. There's, there is room for you to play with a little bit, play with that depth of field a little bit, and it'll make it a little bit easier to capture sharper images consistently. The other thing, and this may seem like an obvious um, idea to anybody listening in, but 
one of the things that I was that I was doing that was creating issues with sharpness in the image was that I was composing or I was focusing rather with the center of the lens and then I was re- yep. recomposing and as a result the image was was soft. Um, so re- okay, and see, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so that you may start with that. Um, and again, I, I would just verify online, whatever the lenses or cameras you're currently using, just make sure there are no known yeah. issues. But um, that's one of the things that can throw it off. So rather than using the, the center focal point, the next time you are focusing in on a subject, if you're going to put them you know, in the top left-hand corner of the frame, for example, then use the focal point that is closer. Shift those focus points to the top left-hand side. Use that to actually focus on them and then take the picture. And that will likely at least begin to help improve the sharpness of your images. See, and that's good to know because I can't tell you how many places tell you the exact opposite that tell you once you start back button focusing, you're good to go. You don't have to worry about anything. And that is a lie. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely a lie. And by the way, back button focusing is awesome. Uh, When I made that switch, it was just, it was a pretty significant shift in the way that I was photographing. So I highly recommend it. But yeah, that I I do. I switched to that actually three months in. Funny enough, one of my friends who's very, very established photographer. I explained to her that I was having some problems with my settings and I was showing her because another friend had touched my camera. I was showing her that I back button focus and she was incredibly confused with that because she doesn't back button focus. And I thought it was something that was just like, as soon as you get your camera, you put that on. That was my (laughs) go-to thing I learned. I'm like, I am going to give myself the best shot in the world to get this shot. <laughs> well, and, and it it's amazing, actually, when you separate the focusing from the actual release of that shutter button, it, it really can make a significant difference in your ability as a photographer. I uh, can't recommend it enough. So I'm glad that you bring that up. But yeah, definitely when you if you're going to to frame a subject um, outside of the center, go ahead and use those outside focal points, whatever, whichever ones are most relevant. Uh, to actually focus and that should at least begin to help with with the sharpness of the image as well but i do want to get back to this idea of upgrading equipment and just some general suggestions or ideas for everybody listening in yes first of all the the and just to be like uber logical and practical here the question i would ask is (laughs) does your equipment enable you to consistently and efficiently deliver on your brand position so we talk about consistently first of all if there are known issues with a particular piece of equipment naturally that thing needs to be replaced or fixed um, but then when we're talking about efficiency, this really takes us more, I mean, certainly to, to certain camera bodies that are a little bit slower, if that's getting in the way of you being able to effectively capture your subjects in the moment, those split second moments that are really important, then that is something to consider. That is a lack of efficiency and an upgrade there makes sense, or even an upgrade of a memory card that's too slow, which gets in the way of you being able to you know, shoot a burst of 10 or 15 images at those most important moments upgrading that memory card for the sake of efficiency at that point, that makes difference. But the question is, does your equipment enable you to consistently and efficiently deliver on your brand position? You've got a pretty specific brand position, Haley, at least with regards Mm -hmm. to to the look and feel of your imagery, your website. Yes. And are you able to deliver the look and feel that you want to with your equipment? If so, then the the question is really answered at that point. No need for an upgrade to the equipment. And the idea that we outgrow our equipment, again, if we're talking about a slow piece of equipment, that's definitely an issue. But outside of that, the technology that we have right now, I mean, I think back to when I was shooting and and, digital photography was still relatively new because I started on film and went to digital. And the digital camera that I shot with for a while was a Nikon D1X. Uh, it was a pro body, but it had less than six megapixels. The dynamic range was terrible. Highlights got blown really easily. But if you actually knew how to use it, you could capture beautiful images. And this, you know, less than six megapixel image, you could blow it up to 20 by 30 and it looks stunning. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that the idea that we outgrow equipment in 2020 is less likely. Uh, if there is an issue with efficiency, then that needs to be addressed. If something's broken, obviously that needs to be addressed. But I think it, once we we purchase a camera and a few lenses, or, you know, and a backup camera body, obviously, um, I think we're good to go these days for for quite some time. The only caveat that I would add here is if if you just like to get new equipment, uh, or you foresee a reason to upgrade in the coming future, my suggestion would be to just take a percentage. I mean, it could literally be three percent or five percent of whatever you bring in from a job and stick that into a little pool from which you can then pull from later on if necessary. And that way you're not just pulling cash out of the bank that you didn't expect to. 
exactly. you've got this little pool that you can pull from to, to slowly and gradually upgrade equipment. Exactly. And again, that all gets tied into back to your raising your prices. You know, if that's something that you want to do by the end of the year, then maybe that's where you have to tweak some things and kind of work that into your plan. So I'm glad you touched on that. And it's, it's nice to be reminded that if you're doing your job properly already, you're probably good to go. Very, yes. And that's kind of a nice way to to sum it up. Uh, this has been a, a really nice conversation. It's been a good conversation for me, good reminders for me, hopefully for everybody listening in as well. And Haley, will you share with our listeners one more time where they can find you online and follow what you're doing? Because it looks like you're just about to explode. This is this is just really great stuff. Oh, well, thank you. Um, on Instagram and Facebook, I'm Golden Hearts Collective. And my website is goldenheartscollective.com. And that's pretty much it for now. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Haley. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu. M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com. dot